What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. And what we're looking at this week is a number of news stories. I'm going to go through the first one. House prices in Dublin are falling at the moment. They're, they've fallen at their sharpest rate since uh, the la- in the last three years. There is also currently 12,000 vacant properties in Dublin. The population of the country has increased by a staggering 97,000 people in just one year. And then relief for UK property investors as Rishi Sunak does a total U-turn on the UK's energy performance goals. So all of this and more in this week's Property Bites. Now, last week what I was talking about, if you remember episode number 175, we're talking about when deals go seriously bad. And I covered this roller coaster ride that these investors had um, when they invested in property called Beckett's. Uh, it's a it's a building quite near to where I am. It's it's just around the corner. In fact, I can almost see it from this office. And it's a building that was built. Anyway, I go through the history of it last week. If you want to listen to that, but what's really interesting about that story is it really shows you how things can go badly wrong. Uh, and how timing is so, so important as an investor. And in 2008, that building was handed over to a receiver. So it had lost so much money that the receiver stepped in. Along came the Comer brothers who bought it uh, in 2008 or 2011, I think they bought it. And they hung on to it for just six years or seven years. And in that time, they cleared a profit of $77 million euro and uh, and then this month it is back in the hands of a receiver uh, after the korean bank that bought it in 2000 and uh, uh, i think the 2018 whenever it was that the commerce sold it these guys bought it for 101 million and uh, these guys have gone to the wall so 12 years what a lesson so that's last week's episode, guys, if you're interested in listening to that. This week, I'm introducing a new idea, a new concept that I have, and I'm calling it Property Bites. And that's a reference, anyone who follows a guy called Fraser Kane, who is uh, into uh, astronomy and all this, he has a thing called Space Bites. So I quite like following his program, and so I'm calling this one Property Bites. And it's really just a, a brief episode on covering the news the, the property news and events that have taken place in the last week or so. And it's the stuff that I believe is going to impact the market. And oh yes, I want to also mention that last week I published on Wednesday. This week I'm also publishing on Wednesday. I would like your thoughts. Uh, if you can comment below, send me a DM, WhatsApp, whatever it is. Um, just I would like to know is the Wednesday timetable. Does that suit you? Does that not suit you? But it certainly seems to be suiting my timetable. It's just gotten a bit crazy lately with the uh, with the workload. So anyway, let's get into the episode. 
Now, the population in the country of Ireland has increased by a staggering 97,600 in one year. Now, these are figures that have come in from the Central Statistics Office, which is the CSO. But, I mean, just those figures don't really make sense unless you kind of start digging into it. And it's really just, it's a fascinating dive when you go and look at this and you wonder like what is driving the housing crisis. And, you know, there's all of these issues with healthcare, big long waiting lists, and you've got schools, you can't get places in your schools. Why is it? Well, this is a very big reason why. And so I'm going to dive into some of the stuff that you've got to be aware of. And uh, for those of you in the UK listening, bear with us because this is, this is very much driving this country. And so it's very much at the top of my mind. 141,600 immigrants entered the Republic of Ireland in 2020. Well, between April of 2022 and April of 2023. So in that 12 month period, 141,600. That is approximately 12,000 people a month entering the country. And that is the most that we have seen the population increase since 2007. And that in 2007, we we were in the middle of the Celtic Tiger. I've explained to you what was going on back then, uh, if you're a listener. And in that year, we had 151,000 people enter the country. And now back then, bear in mind, we had a huge influx of people from Africa and we had from Eastern Europe and the building construction industry was just absolutely on fire uh, in a, you know, in a kind of a growth fashion, uh, like a rocket ship. We were building 90,000 housing units a year. We're currently building about 33, 32,000, something like that. So you just, you wonder like with 141,000 immigrants, what's that all about? Now, if you dive into those figures a little bit further, you notice that 81,000 of them are from outside the EU. In other words, you know, it doesn't say it exactly, but you're talking about refugees. And certainly I would say about 75,000 people of that number are probably Ukrainian refugees that have been relocated here from the the war-torn country uh, that they're from. Now, but in addition to those people, like everyone sees the the Ukrainian crisis because it is very visible and very obvious, but an additional 60,000 people also came in that are not refugees. That's just people from in the EU that decided to relocate and live in Ireland. And that's 5,000 a month, so it's not a small sum. Now, what's really important though, when we talk about those figures, it's to kind of dive in a little bit deeper and just to know like that what we're talking about here, when I say the figure of 97,000, that is the net migration figure. And it's important to kind of dive in and understand if you're listening and you're not too familiar, just the difference between emigration and immigration. Emigration is what you do when you leave your home country. So a lot of students will emigrate to Australia. They might spend a couple of years abroad, whatever. That is effectively emigrating. But there will be other people that will do it on a permanent basis. And we had a huge emigration problem back in the 1980s in this country. Um, Then after 2008, after the crash and the construction industry, when it imploded, 
there was a huge amount of emigration and that was people moving to Canada, people moving to Australia, people moving to the UK. So our country was really, you know, the, the population dropped. That's emigration, leaving. Now, we also have immigration and that is when foreign people come to live in your country. And so if you look at those figures, the, the net figures that we're talking about, we had 141,600 immigrants coming into the country and we had 64,000 emigrants, that is Irish people deciding to leave and go abroad. Now, how much of them are students going to Australia? How much of them are families that have just decided that they want to go and try something else in another country? But when you break it down, what that means is that the net migration figure is plus 77,600. Now do the maths, 77,000 people in the country um, that need homes, 77,600 people that need, you know, to find either schools, either for their children or the kids make up some of that number. Now, if you go back to the 1980s, I referenced this earlier. I remember um, when I was in school and I remember hearing about it, but not really understanding when you're young, but every single college student that finished a degree in uh, Dublin, one of the big universities in Dublin, either Trinity or UCD or whatever, every single one was on a plane the next day to America. Uh, they were not living, staying to, in the country because there was just no jobs. And so the net migration figure in those days was a negative figure. And it was every year you had some people coming in, but you had mostly people leaving. And that has completely flipped on its head. And now it is you know, about double the number coming in and half the number going out. So it is interesting. So you got 77,600 people that are coming into that. These are foreign people that are moving to Ireland. Um, and but you don't ha you also have to remember that we have what's known as natural addition as well. And between April 2022 and April 2023, we had 55,500 births in this country, 55,500 babies born in the year. Uh, that's a lot now. In addition to that, 35,300 people died. Now, that's a combination of old age, illness, disease, whatever it might be. But it's mostly made up of old people that are dying off. So you can see that we have 55,000 born, 35,000 die. And what that means is that there's in addition to the 77,000 foreigners that have moved into the country, we have an additional 20,000 babies that are now in the country that have to be, you know, fed, housed, all that kind of stuff. And it means that an additional 20,000, you know, five years from now, those 20,000 kids are going to need places in schools and all of that stuff. So you can see how this has the ramifications it has for planning policy, for housing output, for prices, for rental, all of that stuff. And so it brings the total, when you add that 20,000, we're up to ni the 97,600. Schools, healthcare, cars on the road, um, policing, that's been something that a lot of people are worried about lately. And, uh, and, and I know, like, just in terms of, like, school for my five kids, uh, incidentally, my daughter, I'm going to give a shout out to my daughter, Amber, who just graduated from school and did her Debs. And so she is off to 
well, at the moment, she's off to Maynooth, so it's going to be interesting to see how she gets on. Now, is it any wonder we have a major, major housing crisis on our hands when we have 70, uh, when we have 90,000, 100,000 effectively people in the country that were not here last year? We already, last year, we had a housing crisis that was absolutely acute. How is it any different to this year? I mean, last year it was already acute. It was already off the charts. And we have an additional 100,000 people now to try to accommodate in that last 12 months. And by all accounts, it's probably going to continue. Um, now, I talked before about the impact of the 2008 crash. And, you know, it totally destroyed our country's ability to build housing at scale. Back then, we were doing 90,000 units a year. Uh, in 2007, I think we got to the peak and that was 90,000 units. And today we do about one third of that. And that is absolutely flat out, unable to find labor, shortages for everything, delays for everything. And um, you kind of say, well, why don't we just bring in hundreds and hundreds of builders and make life easier for ourselves? Where would you house them? Those of, that, of those 90,000 people coming to the country, a lot of them are probably laborers out there looking for accommodation. So you can see it's just made matters worse. We have runaway population growth in this country at the moment. We are by far the highest in the entire EU. And our population is now estimated to be 5,281,600. That is a growth of 2% in a single year. That is, you know, staggering. Anyone who studies population and stuff is just blown away by these figures. And at that rate, if you were to continue on at that level, which is, you know, it's arguable whether or not that's going to happen. But if you continue on at that level, we are looking at hitting a 6 million population by the year 2030. That is just mind-boggling for me because I can remember, I go back to when I was in school, back in the 1980s, uh, the population, I remember, you know, being, told, being, being taught this in school about migration and emigration and all that stuff. The population in Ireland was 3.5 million. Today, we're talking about 6 million. So it's off the charts. The only thing you have to think about, though, is the fact that it is the Ukrainian war has thrown a huge amount of uh, uncertainty into these numbers. It's very hard to tell. Will the current influx of refugees continue? That is, you know, it's probably unlikely uh, because I would have thought that the, the situation in Ukraine is kind of stabilized at this stage. But hard to say, it is definitely not a normal situation. And if you look back to, it took 17 years, it took from 2003, we, we, the population of Ireland finally got out of the, uh, the, the three millions and it hit four million for the first time in over 150 years. It hit four million in 2003 and it's taken from 2003 to 2020 to get from four million to five million. And now we're looking at potentially adding another million people to our population in under 10 years. You can see why our housing crisis is absolutely acute. And um, and that's one of the reasons why I think just housing prices are going to continue to be supported, at least by this kind of population uh, growth. However, you know, we'll go into some of the issues that are causing prices to fall.
Now, before I do that, obviously you can see why housing is crumbling, you know, the, the housing crisis, and you've got healthcare, the healthcare system is crumbling as well. And you'd wonder why are so many people flocking to the country that is experiencing such problems with growth? You've got, uh, you know, you've got people coming to the country, they can't get their kids into schools, they can't find accommodation, that um, they're obviously able to find jobs, which is why they're coming here. But with all of these issues and healthcare and all that, you'd wonder what's making Ireland so attractive. Well, it's because we're bloody awesome. That's why. <laughs> uh, the reality is, actually, I was speaking to one of the moms at my daughter's school um, last week, and I was asking her this very question, wondering like, what is it that's causing uh, you guys to like want? She she is from Chile originally. Herself and her husband have moved from Chile to Ireland with their kids. And I was saying, like, you know, what's it like living in Chile? And in Chile, they had beautiful, big, big house, like big gardens. Here, it's much smaller, everything like that. So you kind of think, like, why did you do it? Quite simply, it's down to the state of uh, law and order and just the sense of safety that they enjoy here. In Chile, where they're from, they were saying that every day, family members are kidnapped and held for ransom by criminal gangs. And that is at least something that we do not have a problem with in this country. So they feel quite safe that their children can go off to school and that they're not going to be, you know, kidnapped. Um, one of the big final things I'm going to say on this population thing is just that Dublin is attracting by far the most of those immigrants that are coming into the country. And the population of the greater Dublin area surpassed 1.5 million for the first time this year. Now, that is represents 28.4% of the entire country's population. So almost 30% of the population of the entire country located in Dublin. So you can see why we're experiencing the crisis that we are experiencing. Speaking of Dublin, that is a good segue into this next story that I found, and that is um, the house price situation. And the same uh, central statistics office that reported on the population, it is also reporting on house prices. And it's interesting to see that they're saying that Dublin house prices have fallen by 1.4% in the last 12 months. Now, that is the sharpest decline since November 2020. And when you say, well, that's only three years ago, but hold on a second, that was just after the pandemic. And if you remember... We had the big lockdown in March or April. And then after that, it was kind of everyone was at home. Nobody was doing anything. And so you would expect prices uh, to kind of like, you know, interest to, to drop off the cliff for a while. And because uh, you couldn't do viewings and you couldn't do anything. And so for Dublin prices to have dropped so sharply, it, it is something of a concern for investors and for people that are looking at buying. Um, it's also fallen for three straight months as well. So it is interesting. And you'd have to ask the question, is this, you know, a sign of things to come? Uh, that is the million dollar question. Now, it is important to point out that across the country, uh, house prices have fared better. And once you go outside of the Dublin area, like Dublin, obviously, the pressure that it's under and the growth that it's experienced, there's a bit of um, falling off of that pre of that. Um, sort of rapid growth and outside of Dublin prices are still increasing and so what's happened is 
the prices outside of the Dublin area have increased by 3.8%. Now, this is still a lot lower than the rate it was growing at, but still, it is growing, which is better than you could say in some places. Now, this gives you an overall blended national rate of 1.5%. In other words, the, the average across the entire country is actually growing, despite the fact that in Dublin it is falling. Now, what's interesting about this central statistic office um, it, article is that it actually goes into some real location-based stuff and it breaks it down. And uh, this is interesting for you guys around the country to kind of hear the different prices, the median price per home across the country. So if you take the entire country as a whole, the median price for a home in Ireland is €320,000. But the median price in the Dublin area is 436,000. Uh, so it just shows you that Ireland, that Dublin is about 140,000 more expensive. And uh, that's on a median basis. So that's taking the entire you know, population of the Dublin area and dividing the houses by the price, the average price. Now, you can actually break it down further. In the area where I live, which is the Dunleary Rat Down County Council area, that median house price is actually the highest in the country, and it is six hundred and thirty thousand for the median house price. Whilst to the north of the city, the county of uh, Fingal—it's a part of the Dublin region—the median price there is only four hundred and ten thousand. So you can see there's actually there's a full two hundred and twenty thousand difference between Dunleary Rat Down and Fingal. Uh, then if you go outside of the Dublin area. Wicklow is the highest county in the entire country uh, outside of Dublin, and that's 420,000 median, whereas Kildare is the next at 382. And then the lowest, the most unpopular place to buy a home, <laughs> it looks like, and my friend, my old school or college friend, Nick, will not be too happy to hear this, is Longford. And Longford is, the median price in Longford is 160,000. Now, the CSO went and broke it down even further. And I'll just, the only reason this caught my eyes is because I was actually living in this area. So we have what's known as an air code here in Ireland. And it's the same as a zip code or the same as a postal code in the UK. And I've just moved from the area A94 to D18. And A94 is had the highest price in the country. And um, then it has the... Uh, that it has the lowest price in the entire country is the air code is F35 and that is Ballyhonus County Mayo where the median house price is just 127,000. So you can see vast differences. That area that I live, the median is actually over 700,000. So it is interesting to see. Um, what is the cause of prices starting to fall a little bit? Well, that is easy, interest rates. And as I've said before, I've said it multiple times, if you're listening for a while, you will have heard this, but no matter where you are in the world, it is important to remember that property prices are closely correlated to interest rates. And it's important to remember though that they are inversely correlated. And that means that when interest rates are low, prices are high house prices or property prices are high. When 
interest rates are going up, property prices are going down. So they work as an inverse to one another, but they're very closely correlated. Sometimes there's a bit of a lag. So you'll see one is going down and then six months later, you'll see the other is going up. And when the other is going down, you'll find the other one is going up. So they're closely correlated. And if you look at graphs between um, of interest rates and graphs of house prices, you will see that they work in a very, very correlated way. So what should we expect interest rates to do? And that is interesting. Uh, it's like it's a major question for all property investors, because as soon as interest rates start to fall again, that's the time to buy, because that's when you're going to start making money as the prices start to go up. And if you're buying right now, it is hard to say, like they, they are starting to say that perhaps we have peaked and that interest rates will not increase any further. But the problem is, is that certainly the, 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 what I, the news out of the European Central Bank is that they are going to hold rates at 4%, which is where we're at now, for as long as needed. The US is saying the same thing. They're saying, yes, we are seeing inflation you know, starting to fall, which is a positive sign. But you've got to understand like the inflation, they want inflation to get to 2%. It's gone from like 10% to 8% down to kind of 6 or 7%. It's still a long way off too. And so they're going to keep the, the rates at 4% for as long as it takes to get it down to 2 and that's the problem that we have is that we don't know how long will that take. Will it take a year? Will it take two years? But they're not going to allow inflation to run out of control because it does far more damage than the falling house prices does. It does damage to the economy. Uh, inflation in the EU, inflation in the UK and inflation in the US all falling. So that is good news, but just not falling fast enough. And so it's going to be a little bit more of this unpleasant medicine for us all to take until things uh, change. So stay tuned and we'll obviously keep an eye on all this. Before I jump into the next item, I just want to quickly remind you all, my Property Mastermind has launched. Uh, we now have over 30 members. There is a September promotion on. I'm knocking 50% off the joining fee and you have just three to four days uh, left for that promotion if you're interested in taking it up. So don't delay, don't miss out. And uh, I look forward to having these private conversations that we're talking about now. I do this kind of thing with the group and we get into de details and people ask questions and all that. It's great interactive. Now, the next thing I want to cover is we're going over to the UK for a second. And what I'm looking at is Rishi Sunak has made a major U-turn in the whole energy performance and sustainability and stuff. Now, this is great news for property investors in the short term, but it's probably bad news for all of us in terms of the environment. Um, and Irish investors should definitely pay attention to this because I think it's all interconnected. And I think the same things are possibly going to start to play out in the Irish market. So in the UK, I did an episode on this just a couple of weeks ago. So Go back and listen to that. I can't remember exactly, but it's like two or three episodes back. But I was talking about the Energy Performance Certificate, which is the EPC. In the, e, in the UK, we have buildings have an EPC. In Ireland, we have a BEOR, but they're effectively the same thing. They're a certificate 
that tells you what the energy performance of the building. And what the UK brought in was a rule that if your building is an F or lower, it fails. It cannot be rented. And that's fair enough because it is a pretty bad rating. Here in Ireland, we don't actually have that at the moment. But what the UK was bringing in was that by April 2025, which is like a year and a bit away now, a year and a half away, um, that minimum was going to move from an F to a D. And if you were below a C rating, you were not allowed to rent your property. It would be outside of the rental market. And last week, uh, the, the Prime Minister announced that they are scrapping that policy um, or at least they're going to kick it down the road for a bit. So with the scrapping of this, landlords across the UK are probably breathing a, you know, or sighing a, uh, a big relief because this was a major issue coming at a very bad time. You have got a housing you know, situation in the UK where everyone's interest rates uh, on their mortgages and stuff have all shot up. In addition to that, you had this policy that was forcing people to invest and they had to upgrade their insulation, their windows, they had to change their central heating systems and all that. And all coming at the time when interest rates were very high. And in addition to that, they brought in this um, rule around taxation where you're not allowed to claim back some of the mortgage uh, cost. So all of that was obviously making very difficult and a lot of people were pulling out of the UK property market as a result. Um, now, what they're doing now is they're scrapping the policy to force landlords to upgrade, but they will continue to, and it's like in uh, uh, inverted commas, encourage householders to do so. Um, they're also raising the boiler upgrade grant by 50% to 7,500, and that's going to help people replace gas boilers with low carbon heat pumps. They're also delaying uh, a ban on oil and gas boilers or new coal heating for houses that are off the grid. And that's being kicked out. Previously, it was 2026 when those were going to be all banned. Now it's actually been kicked out to 2035. So that's quite a bit of a, of a jump. Now, the big complaint for all of that was because many homes across in rural areas and off the grid just were not suited for heat pumps and so it's all fine to kind of like ban gas fired and stuff like that but you've got to have an alternative so th that was one of the things um the government are also bringing in exemptions for those who cannot afford um to to upgrade their homes and so you if you can't afford to do it you're not going to be forced to do it and you're not going to be punished for not being able to do it there will be exemptions for them Incidentally, not related to housing and stuff, but they also have pushed the ban on the sale of diesel and petrol cars out by another five years. So you'd have to ask, like, why, why did they do this big U-turn? Everyone's been talking about sustainability and ESG and carbon reduction and all that. Why suddenly now? Well, I think it boils down to huge numbers of landlords across the UK we're probably going to start doing what they've been doing here in Ireland for the last while, and that is leaving the market, just saying, you know what, I've had enough of the rental game. I would rather just cash in. If I got a profit there, I'm going to take the profit and buy shares instead or something like that. So 
What's been the reaction from landlords? Well, if you haven't spent the money, great, but a lot of people are not happy because they've already spent millions on the upgrades. And according to a study by a company called Shawbrooks, 80% of landlords that they asked said they were already prepared for 2025. And incidentally, just 3% were not even aware of this change in legislation. And apparently 50% of the people that they spoke to had spent somewhere between 500 and 20,000 in upgrading their properties. So it's maybe a bit, you know, a bit late to be bringing it in. But my reaction really is that this is really just kicking the can down the road. Climate change has not gone away. And you've got to be careful about this kind of thing where you delay things. Like, yes, it's a relief in the moment. But the worst thing is that if you weren't ready for it before, you're probably not going to be ready for it when it happens again. And it's a mindset thing. You've really got to start thinking about this in advance. Climate change, as I said before, is investment risk. It is a risk that your property is going to fall in value. And so climate change is not going anywhere. It's still barreling along and we're all you know, going to be affected by it in some way. And so I would suggest that upgrade your property if you have the funding to do it, because if you have the funding to do it, it will probably make your property more attractive to people who are renting. It'll make people think, I, I'm not going to spend as much on energy. And eventually you're going to have to do it anyway. So isn't it a good idea to kind of get in there ahead? I'm going to take it back to my hometown of Dublin now. And I've noticed that there are there's a headline there and it's 12,000 vacant properties now available in Dublin. Not available, just vacant properties have been identified in Dublin. And what this is absolutely shocking because I already mentioned that, you know, the, the housing crisis and the shortages and everything like that. And yet there are 12,000 vacant properties in Dublin. Now, they're not all houses. So that's the first thing. But 40% of these 12,000 have been vacant for more than three or four years. And um, given that, that we're in a housing crisis, it is quite amazing. 25% of this 12,000, so that's 25% is what, 3,000 of them are in the city centre of Dublin between the canals. And 41% of the 12,000, so that 41%, like that's a sizable number. Uh, that's about nearly 5,000. That, that's 5,000 houses and apartments. 5,000 houses and apartments that are ready, that are available to move into, but are being retained vacant. 1,500 of the properties are mixed commercial stroke residential. That's probably the shop on the ground floor with the residential over. And then 5,500 are commercial properties. And that is office buildings. And don't even mention it to me because I'm well aware of vacancy and the office sector is really struggling. Anything built between the 1960s and the 1980s is seriously struggling at the moment. And that is because they're so energy inefficient that nobody wants to rent them. And all of this information was collected by, uh, by uh, an initiative called GeoDirectory. And they've been mapping it all, the country. Um, they've been mapping the city because of the vacant homes tax that's been brought in next month. And it's interesting to, to look at all that. Finally, I'm going to talk about just how to overcome the issue. And one of the things that Dublin City Council has done is they are bringing in what they're referring to as the Adaptive Reuse Programme. 
And this is where they're looking at uh, commercial buildings that are on the market, that are available, but that are just vacant. And they're thinking, why don't we buy them and convert them into residential buildings? Now, one of the, this is an obvious thing. A lot of people are obviously, but the thing is, is I've looked at this before. Commercial buildings do not always lend themselves for residential conversion because of just the difference between an office floor and a an apartment and stuff. You know, apartments, if you build six apartments on a floor of a building, that's six different toilets that you need to fit. Whereas in an office building, you will just put your toilets down one end. And so it doesn't always work. But anyway, one of the places that Dublin City Council has begun to look is Ulster Bank. And that is because those of you who are in the UK, you may not know, Ulster Bank is uh, a part of the NatWest group, uh, which is one of the big banks in the UK. And they were in Ireland for, I don't know how many years, I've been banking with Ulster Bank my whole life. And suddenly they decided we're pulling out of Ireland. And when they pulled out of Ireland, um, they've left this huge portfolio of their branch network, everything like that. It's all now being left vacant and for sale. And so there's dozens of buildings for sale um, in their portfolio. And one of them, I know this building so well, I've been in it hundreds of times. And that is because it was where I had my bank account, Ulster Bank College Green. And that is a, it's, it's their central, it's their headquarter bank um, building. And it's currently on the market for sale at 13 and a half million. Dublin City Council are looking to acquire it. Now, this building was, the, it's part old building built in the 1890s and then part modern extension. And like, I know this so well. I used to be in that bank every single day. Back when I was running our car park business, I would be walking down the street with pockets full of cash and uh, like literally three or 4,000 in cash. And I'd be lodging that every single day. And I did that for maybe five or six years in a row. And so I was in that bank all the time. And I'm, I'm telling you, they are going to struggle. That is a huge, big building, but it's not a building that would work very easily for residential conversion. You know, these old buildings with massive high ceilings and stuff, like how do you turn that into residential? It's going to be very interesting to see. The big motivation for them, though, is not just the fact that there's a residential housing shortage and all that, but it is also because they have a major project to pedestrianize that whole area. So the College Green area is where Trinity College opens up out on, into, and they want to make it a huge, big pedestrian, um, a little bit like, I guess, Trafalgar Square or something like that, or um, Piccadilly uh, Circus, an area that is, you know, kind of a big area that's pedestrianized. And that is, um, that's the plan. And they, they don't want this big old vacant building to be kind of sitting there around uh, when they finish these works and it all looks fantastic. One of the things that I think would probably make more sense for an old building like that, uh, if you go onto um, Google Earth or something, you can actually put yourself in the middle of College Green. You can see the building I'm talking about, but it probably would suit itself better to some sort of a boutique hotel. Um, because a boutique hotel, you can see yourself having the big high ceilings and all that. The adaptive reuse program that they're talking about, um, it is, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes because there's an awful lot of buildings that are all over the city that are in current office use 
that are going to be converted, you know, they could be converted to residential. And I know they've already bought one or two of those branches from the Ulster Bank and they're converting them into apartments. But they're, you know, it, it's a slow process. So I wouldn't be getting too excited about hundreds of apartments coming to the market. Um, by the way, I got out of that car parking business because of that, you know, um, Dublin City Council, when they decided they were going to do that big plaza, that big plaza was basically Dublin City Council going to war with car parks because we had a great business that did really, really well for many, many years. And then all of a sudden they stopped wanting cars coming into the city centre and we watched our numbers decline. And it went from being a really profitable, great business to suddenly not being a great business. And that's when we exited and got out. So guys, look, that's the end. What do you think? Do you like this format, Property Bytes? Do you want to see it return? Uh, it's easy for me because I'm going in and I'm looking at the um, I'm looking at the newspapers anyway. So I clip these articles and I retain them for myself. And I kind of thought, why don't I just go through my thoughts on all this kind of stuff? I'd love to hear what you think. If you prefer, I can bring back the interviews or maybe mix it up. Message me, DM me on Instagram, send me a link, uh, LinkedIn uh, message and uh, check out the links below. And don't forget that mastermind is only got that promo is only for another two or three days by the time you hear this. I will see you guys same time next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.